0: Uh, we'll hear from uh, Sean next week, and um, we'll continue to uh, yeah, continue to hear testimonies and 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 share stories of God's uh, faithfulness in our lives and, and through our church. So um, this summer, a couple teams are going out to Ecuador and to the Dominican Republic. And uh, through the years, I've had the the privilege and joy of being able to go to uh, several different countries for for missions and for other uh, for other things and. One of the thing, <clears throat> things that I've noted is, especially, or not especially, but when I get to worship in different countries, there's usually one song that um, almost every worship service or every country at some point, a worship service, um, as I've been in a worship service, they end up singing. It's a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and I Want to See You. I'm not sure why uh, I'm not sure why we always sing that, but may, I don't know if it's easy to translate or for whatever reason but something about that song that expresses the desire and uh, the longing of the people of God to open the eyes of my heart because I want to see you. And I thought, you know, is it just something that happens uh, in foreign countries? And I, you know, I, I, I googled "Open the Eyes of My Heart" the song, and it's listed under many different lists for top hundred worship songs uh, in. Uh, uh, I think October of last year, October of last year was number 32 in terms of the most uh, sung and downloaded songs by uh, CCLI, which is a Christian copyright licensing uh, whatever organization that keeps track of how many times these songs have been either been sung or purchased, number 32 on the list. And it's not a, a new song either. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. You know, songs are shapers of culture, But they're also reflections of culture as well. And so if songs shape the theology of a church, they also express the theology and the longings of a church as well. And so when you think of that song, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. The reason why it's so popular, not because of its catchy melody, even though there's some catchiness to it, it's because it expresses a deep down longing of the children of God throughout the world. This desire to want to see god to know him to experience him it's not just limited to christians or to religious people either you remember the one of the early cosmonauts the russian space uh, shuttle rider who went up into space and orbited the the earth and all that stuff he came back and during the press conference he interviews people asked him or people asked him what his time was like and he said well one thing one thing i didn't i did that didn't happen was as far up as i could go i didn't see god I didn't see God. There's a particular longing in the human heart to see God, not when we die, but in this lifetime, to want to see God. Some of the most uh, poignant conversations I remember having with people is over this very issue, that I want to see God. I remember being at a at a retreat when I was in college and, and, and sitting in a small group. And, and one of my closest friends, there is a song called In the Secret, In the Quiet Place. And there's this part that says, I want to know you. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. And as we shared in small group, uh, that first small group meeting, why are you here? Why are you here at this oil retreat? Why are you here? And my friend said, the one thing I want, I want to see God. I just want to see God. What does that mean for us to say, I want to see God? Do you have that longing in your heart? Do you want to see God? As we study through the Beatitudes, verse 8, the fifth Beatitude that we get to today, the uh, fifth Beatitude, sixth Beatitude that we get to today, talks about what it means that we will see God. Okay. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through and talk about what it means when we say we want to see God this is God's word Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 because now when he went, when he saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. So several things that we've established each week through uh, the time that we've been studying this is that, first of all, Jesus is not talking to people in general, the general population. First thing we know is that he's talking to Christians. The second thing that we know is that Jesus is describing the life of a Christian. He's describing life in the kingdom of heaven. He's describing what it is if you are a follower of Christ. And so as he talks about these things, he's not saying this is uh, what the world ought to do. You should mourn for you'll be comforted and you'll be blessed in that way. He's not saying that. He's saying this is what the life of a Christian, a child of God, is going to look like. You will be poor in spirit. In other words, you will recognize your need for God. As a result, you will mourn over your sin when you realize how puny and tiny and sinful you are in light of an altogether awesome God. You will realize your shortcomings and you will mourn over your sinful condition. As a result, you'll become meek and you'll surrender your rights before God. And once you're emptied, you will then hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only God can give. And when you hunger and when you thirst for Him alone, then the result... Of that longing will be, you will be satisfied. And verse 6, verse 5 talks about what that will look like. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, you will be merciful. And then verse 8, uh, there will be a purity of heart in such a way that you will then see God. So What does it mean for us to see God? What does that mean when we say, I want to see you, and that Jesus promises that the children of God, the people of God will see God? The first thing that we see, just two thoughts today. The first thought is that seeing God, seeing God is experiencing his presence and his intimacy. Seeing God, that's what it's all about. It's about experiencing the manifest presence of God and then encountering him in his intimacy. It's his presence and it is intimacy. That's what we talk about when we say we want to see God. Uh, I'm the youngest of, of two brothers, and so growing up, my brother being older was always bigger, and he was always stronger than me, and he always got bigger and better things because he was the older one. He would get toys that I wasn't able to get. He had friends that I didn't have, so he would always be getting new things. And he would always show me these new, new toys and trinkets that he would get when we were both kids, when he was like seven and I was four. He would say, oh, my gosh, look at this new toy that I got. I got this new you know, ant blaster. I got this new water gun or whatever it is. I got this new thing, and he would hold it up for me to see. And I would say, I want to see it. I want to see, can I see it? And then he would hold it up just about arm's length away from me. And he would say, see? And I would say, I want to see it. I want to see it. And he would say, look, you can see it. And then I would reach out my hand and he would pull it away from me. And he would say, look at it. I said, I I want to see it. Give it to me. And then he would say this thing that every kid hates to hear. In a situation like mine, they would say, you see with your eyes and not with your hands. Did you ever say that or did you ever hear that? You see with your eyes, not your hands. And I would get all frustrated and I would stomp out of the room and I would tell my mom and dad that my brother wouldn't let me see the thing. What do I mean when I say I want to see it? It doesn't mean I want to get a glimpse of it. I want to see it from afar. When I say I want to see it, I'm saying I want to see it up close and personal. I want to handle it. I want to touch it. I want to see it in an an intimate way. That's what I'm saying when I say I want to see something. And when Jesus says you will see God, he's not saying you're going to see him from far away, but you get to see him up close and personal. Isn't that what we want? I hope that's what you want, child of God. Because if, as lovers of Jesus and lovers of God, we don't want to see Him in that way, then there's something dysfunctional about the relationship that we have with our God. No lover is content to see the object of their affection from far away, from long distance, and that'd be okay. Every person who's ever dated long distance, the one thing that they want more than anything else is for finally the day when they can be together. No one is content. To love from a distance and to see from a distance. They long to be known and to know and to see and to be seen up close and personal. And so when Jesus says, you will see God, that's what he's talking about. Sinclair Ferguson, who wrote one of the great books on the Sermon on the Mount, says, um, one of the best ways that we can understand what it means to see God, that the pure in heart will see God, is by looking at the Psalms. And there's two Psalms in particular. Psalm 24 and Psalm 73 talk about the gift of what it is to be pure in heart and then to see the blessing of what that means. In, in Psalm 24, it says great psalm. It's one of my favorites where the psalmist asks. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can dwell in his holy presence? Who can stand in the presence of God? And then verses three through six give these famous words. He who is pure in heart, he who has clean hands, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God. He is the one who can dwell and ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy presence. What does it mean for us to see God? It means that we are aware of his presence. Let us become more aware of your presence. That's what it means to see God. And then in Psalm 73, this great psalm that Asaph wrote, where Asaph is is struggling because he envies the wicked around him. And then he says, surely God is good to Israel. He is good to those who are pure in heart. And then later on, he goes on to say, it is good to be near to God. The two things That we mean when we say, I want to see God, it means that I want to get into his presence. I want to know his presence. And then secondly, I want to know intimacy with him. I want to linger in the intimacy, the intimate presence of God. When we say, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. That's what they're saying is that I want to get into your presence. And I want to linger in the intimate place where I know you dwell. I want to know you in an intimate way. This makes sense, too, doesn't it? When sometimes I sleep wrong and my neck gets hurt, and so I call up my chiropractor, I text him up, I say, hey, uh, is there a chance I might be able to see you this week? What do I mean when I say I want to see you? What response am I looking for? I'm not looking for him to say, yeah, you know what, DL, if you want to come by at... Uh, Uh, Thursday at noon, I'll stand on the side of Conroy Windermere Road. I'll hold up a sign. You can drive by me and you can see me. You can take a picture if you want, and then you can go on by. That's not what I'm wanting him to say when I say, can I see you? When I say I want to see you, I'm saying, can I get into your presence? Can I have some face time with you? Can Can I be with you? That's what I'm saying when I say I want to see you. And so when Jesus says you're going to see God, he's saying you're going to Be in his presence. You're going to know that. But then there's that other sense that Psalm 73 talks about. The the sense in which if I'm away on a a trip or something like that and I'm talking with Olivia, my wife, and then my kids get on the phone, Manny and Elijah, say, Daddy, Daddy, we want to see you. When can we see you? It's the same thing. They're not asking, can you take a picture of where you are and they get the backdrop and, and text it to mommy so we can see you. They're not even saying we want to Skype with you. They're saying, when can you come home so that we can be together and we can share moments of intimacy with each other? That's what they're saying. But it means when we say, I want to see God. This is the longing of the Old Testament saints. When they say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. They're saying, God, I want to see you. It's the longing of the children of God when the temple is being dedicated in Chronicles. When they say, let your glory fall in this room. They are saying, God, we want to see you. It's what Moses said when he said, I want to see you, God. I just want to see you. I want to get into the presence of God. That's what he's saying. But the longing of every Old Testament saint to see God. Why? Why? Because you know how it is when you see something that is utterly amazing. When you get a glimpse of that, you're not content to keep watching it from arm's length, are you? Are you? It's why people want to get, I mean, (laughs) this is not a good thing, but when uh, some of the the older guys in here who are now mature, but we were immature back in the day, guys like uh, Eugene Kwok and Jason Lee, when we would go to magic games, basketball games, get by these $5 tickets, sit in the nosebleed section. And after a while, we'd be like, you know what? Dude, that is like Tracy McGrady. That's Grant Hill down there. We can't be content to sit with our backs against the wall here. Let's move up. And so we wanted to move up to get the best seats and got to the first seat in the, in the upper bowl. Oh My gosh, this is great. They actually look like people now, not ants. Oh my gosh, but you know what? There's all those empty seats down there. Let's sneak down into the lower bowl. And so we would walk down there because we just wanted to get a glimpse of the greatness and of the glory because it wasn't enough for us to see them from a distance. Why people pay thousands of dollars to sit courtside at a basketball game because it's not enough to sit so far back there. We want to get a glimpse of the glory in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. That's why people will linger before Niagara Falls. And just sit there in in, in just awe. And it's why people put on those yellow jackets and ride the maid of the Mist And go in the midst of Niagara Falls. Because they want to get a closer look at the glory and of the beauty. And of the power and of the majesty of that waterfall. Why people will stand fixated in front of the Mona Lisa for hours and hours and hours. It's crazy that people would do that. Because they come into the presence of something so amazing. And when you see something that beautiful, you want to linger in that place. And you don't, to, you, want, you don't want to glance, you don't want to glimpse, you want to gaze in that place. When I was a senior in college, there was a sophomore from Ghana. Her name was Netta. And she was kind of a loose cannon, spoke her mind. And there was this one time where we were all hanging out on campus and there was this strapping, muscular, African-American guy, real good-looking. And he walked by. And Netta's jaw just dropped. And she <laughs> stared at him as he walked. And literally for about 10 seconds, and she was like, oh, my God. And we're sitting there, and we're like, Netta, get a grip. Close your mouth. What's wrong with you? And then she, this is what she said. I always remember what she, she said. What? I'm just admiring the beauty of God's creation. (laughs) Her theology was off, but the point was clear. When you see beauty like that, sometimes you just have to stare and gaze and see and linger in that place. When you see God in His beauty, in His perfection, in His power, in His Majesty, when you get a glimpse of Him here, doesn't that make you want to see Him and to linger in that moment, the manifest presence of God? Don't you want to just, I want to see you. That it, it explains the song Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to be aware of your presence. I want to see you in everything that I do. I want to know that your presence goes with me wherever I go. I just want to see you. That's the longing. The Old Testament saints. And yet in that longing in Exodus 33, Moses says, God, show me. I want to see your face. I want to see you. The response of God was that no one can see me and live. Yeah, it's what people say. I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you. That was the reality when it came to To God. The longing of every human heart. God, I want to see you because eternity is written in our hearts. I want to see you, God. I want to know you in intimacy. God's response is, You can't. And the aching, longing, crying, desperate plea of the Old Testament saints would be denied until Jesus comes. And then Jesus. One of the first things he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For you will see the fulfillment of everything that those before you long to see and to know. For they will see God. What does it mean to see God? It means that we encounter his presence and we experience his intimacy. But the second thing that we see, second thing that we see here, seeing God is the reward for those who are undivided in their devotion to God. Who gets to see God of all people? Says the gift of seeing God, the reward of seeing God is for the people who are undivided in their devotion to God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. One of the first things that we recognize when we see that then is that God always has placed a premium on the hearts of men and women. It's he who said, Man looks at outward appearance, but I, I look at the heart. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And he's not just talking about the seedbed of our emotions. He's talking about the center of everything that we are. That's the heart. It's the control center of the human being from within the deepest part of who we are. He's saying, be pure in that area. You don't, I don't care about purity of your, of your hands or purity of the external deeds. You could be as pure as you want, can never slept with another woman. But he says, listen, you committed adultery in your heart already if you've lusted after another woman or another man. He's so saying, it's the heart that matters. And some of us flippantly talk about, oh, that like, like my friend Netta, that guy is so beautiful. And there's, if there's lust in our hearts, we've already committed the sin. All we need to do then is do the physical action. He's saying it doesn't matter what you're... In other words, it's not about the art. It's always about the heart. That's what Jesus says. And it has always, always, always been about that. It's out of the overflow of the heart that your mouth speaks. He says in, in, Mar- in the Gospel of Mark, he says, listen, get this straight. Out of the heart come all kinds of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, greed, murder, lying. All those things come out of the heart. Jesus is saying, listen, if you've got the heart conquered, then the rest of you is going to follow. It doesn't matter. You can look good on the outside, but if you don't look good on the inside, if your heart hasn't been, if you're not pure there, you're not going to see God. Do you? you have a hard time seeing God? Why is it that I read the Word and I can't experience God? Why is it that I pray, but I can't encounter the presence of God? Why is it that when I'm singing songs in the church that I can't experience intimacy with God? Why is it that God feels so far away from me? Can I ask you, how is your heart? Not your hands only. but How is your heart? Blessed are the pure in heart for the reward for such people is that you will see God. Because you remember the beatitudes are an already reality in as much as it is a not yet reality. It is already, but not yet here. So, yeah, one day we will see Jesus fully. We'll see God fully. The veil will be removed from our eyes. We will not see dimly as in a through a as through a a glass, as it says in first Corinthians. One day that will all be removed and we'll see him face to face. That's not yet here. But there is a very real sense in which his intimate presence can be appropriate and understood and experienced here because Christ has already come. And we can see God because we're, when we're pure in heart, the only person, the only people who can see him are those who are pure in heart. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're sinless and nobody would see God, but to be pure, means that we are undivided in our heart. To have a singular devotion, to have a single-minded commitment, to be undivided means that there's, our hearts are not divided. Part of me wants God, part of me wants money. Part of me wants God, part of me wants sex. Part of me wants God, part of me wants status. He's not saying, he's saying, there's an undivided heart where everything about us is fully, completely divided. Devoted to God. He says, when that is your heart, then you will see, you'll see God everywhere. You'll see God everywhere. You'll be able to encounter him. You'll be able to, uh, to see him. You'll be able to know intimacy. He won't be arm's length away. You will experience him in intimacy. Because you and I are as intimate with God as we want to be. Because blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean? Again, being undivided in heart has two connotations. The first one means that we long for nothing else. And is this your undivided longing? Nothing else but Jesus. Only Jesus. None but Jesus. There is no one else for me. None but Jesus. Because if that's the honest cry of your heart, then you're going to see God. All I want... It's Psalm 27.4, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I might gaze upon your beauty, that I might dwell in your presence, to one thing I ask, nothing else. That's all I want. You want to see God? He's saying, that's the condition of our heart. When I think of what it is to be undi- to want one thing and one thing only, I think of Elise, my baby, just turned one. Her undivided devotion, the singular longing of our heart, is for her mom, Olivia. All that she wants, crying until she gets mommy. Crying, crying. Manny, Elijah, go in and go in and get, get baby. Go in and play with her. Crying, crying. Uh, older brother, older sister, come in. She's still crying. No, no. She'll say go. She's she learned the word go, go, go. She'll say go, go, and she'll cry, cry, cry. So then they have to bring in the big gun. So daddy comes in. Elisee, Appa, Daddy. No, no, go crying, crying, crying. Grandma, grandpa, no dice. So finally, because the singular longing of our heart is for mommy, the olive, there's nothing we can do. Go in and rescue her. As soon as mommy comes in, the crying stops. She lifts her arms up in the air, she holds her, she puts her hand on her chest, and everything is well. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see all of That's what she thinks. That is Elisa's one beatitude. Undivided heart, I've got it. Why aren't you giving it to me? So finally, here you are. Undivided inner devotion is the only thing that I want. The other connotation. Not only is there a singular longing of what it means to be undivided, I have a singular longing, but the other is that there's no hypocrisy within us. Maybe you've got a singular longing for God. If our hearts, one thing one day, another thing another day, or one way on Sunday, another way every other day, that that kind of a thing is going to keep us from seeing God. The insides and the outsides being the same person, because that's the kind of person that's going to see God. We all come to church on Sunday, smiling and ready, laughing when we're supposed to, crying when we're supposed to, singing when we're supposed to, praying when we're supposed to. But is that who we are the rest of the week? This is hard because I know that there's a lot of this that applies to me too. I'm not always the person that I show on Sunday. Olive knows that. My kids know that. People who know me well know that. It's hard. I know it because, uh, you know, there's certain I mean, in certain situations, we're taught that we need to wear a mask. Right. So we got um, we go to Chuck E. Cheese. It was my first job. And so I got a special place in my heart (laughs) for Chuck E. Cheese. And so we've been going there a little bit more recently since we've had kids. And and Elijah had his uh, had a birthday party there on Monday. So uh, don't don't laugh at him. There's a video that we posted about Elijah getting blasted by the ticket blaster. And I think that's what people are are laughing at. But we had a birthday party there. And because we go there every now and then, um, there's a guy I've come to know who works at Chuck E. Cheese. And I walked in there and I I said, how's it going? And he's like, it's crazy today. We went at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I looked around. Chuck E. Cheese on a Monday morning at 10 o'clock is never crazy. There's only one other group of like three people there. So I was like, what are you talking about? It's crazy. I said, really (laughs) and he said yeah and he went on to say yeah basically what happened was this morning the guy who was supposed to come in and work bailed and so we're short-staffed and so he's like I gotta do everything he had this like huge thing of tokens that he was had to count he had to clean all these machines and do all this stuff he's like it's crazy out here today like I feel you I've been there (laughs) and so we went off and we're playing our games and every hour Chuck E. Cheese comes out right whether or he's supposed to come out they have this automated thing that plays and hey, Chucky's coming in five minutes, countdown, and they play this five-minute song in sync or Backstreet Boys or whatever it is, and then it gets to 10, 9, 8, and they start counting down. Everybody give a round of applause for Chucky. And when there's only seven of us in there, it's not really a rousing applause. So the first hour we're there, uh, Chucky didn't come out. We're like, no big deal, you know, we're just playing our games. And then we thought, hey, you know, it would be great if the kids could see Chuck E. Cheese before we go home for the day. And so the 11 o'clock hour, 12 o'clock hour, I forget which one, rolls around. They're like, 10, 9, 8. And Manny and Elijah are like, 5. Elijah's like, 5, 8, 4, 6. And Manny's like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, that's how you got to count. So we're counting. One, here's Chucky. E. Give a round of applause. So we're clapping. And Manny and Elijah are jumping up and down. But there's no Chucky. They're like, hmm, maybe he's late. Maybe he's in the bathroom. What's going on? And a minute goes by and like maybe he's not gonna come. So I walked over to my friend not my friend, my guy, and I said, Hey, uh, where's Chucky today? And he looks around and he's like, Oh, he he ain't come oh, I I think he's coming and so he like puts down whatever he's got, takes off his gloves and he runs into the back right? He's like sweating. It's no good. And then he walks out and Chucky, oh, it's Chucky. And he's like, oh, happy, smiley. He's like the happiest mouse you've ever seen. And he's waving at the kids. He's waving them over and he's like, take a picture. And he's like dancing with them and all this stuff. And he calls the other group of three over and one little boy, he danced with them. And after two minutes, he goes back in. And then after like 30 seconds, a minute, my boy comes back walking back out. He's like all hot. He's angry again. I didn't, want him to, I didn't want him to have to do it. I just wanted the kids to see him before he left, before we left. And I thought well, in that sense, wow, you know what? It's a good thing. And I've said this before when I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. It's a good thing that Chuck e. has a mask that's always smiling. Because if not, this Chuck E. Cheese with that guy in there would not have been very friendly and hospitable to Manny and Elijah and that other kid. Because he was not a happy guy that day. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about when we think about this Greek word for hypocrisy. That we may not be so hot, but on Sundays we come and we put on our Chucky mask or our Christian mask. And we come looking good. And we come looking happy. We come looking spiritual. Then as soon as we leave here, we get in the car, we're like, dang, ready to take that thing off. And then we go back into our car to live the kind of life that we want to live. And the person we are on Sunday morning for this three-hour stretch is not the person we are on Saturday night. Not the person we are on Friday night. Not the person we are from 8.30 to 5.30. Not the person we are when we go to school. Jesus is saying, if that's who you are, man, pray as you want, fight as you want, but you won't be able to find God. You won't be able to see God because it's an undivided heart a purity of heart these are the kind of people that are going to see god what happens when you realize yeah that's me i'm chucky i'm chucky cheese that's me i come looking good on sundays looking spiritual looking religious looking christ like whatever you want on sundays but that ain't me i don't want to be a hypocrite anymore you got one of two ways to go, and there's a lot of people who in this world, in this culture where so many things are fake, say, you know what? we just got to keep it real. we just got to keep it real. I know I'm a Christian. I know i committed myself to a church. I'm just going to keep it real. And so we go out and we, we take the things that we do and we put it on, on the Internet for everybody to see. I don't care. I'm just keeping it real. I just want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just keeping it real. As if being real is the highest virtue that Christ has called us to. He didn't say, blessed are the real, for they will see God. But blessed are the pure. I've been in a lot of Christian contexts where people say, let's just be real. Let's just take off our masks and come as we are. And so people come as they are and say, you know what? I beat my kid today. You know what? I didn't, haven't done my devotion in eight months. You know what? I'm about to lose my faith. It's Like, yeah, man, thanks for being so courageous. Yeah, good. And that's it. Like, dude, that's great as a starting point. But that's never, since when has vulnerability and keeping it real been what Christ has called us to? That's always the first step. That's realizing poverty is fear. Why? In order that we might hunger and thirst for righteousness. It ain't about just not being a hypocrite. It's about wanting one thing and wanting Christ alone. You want to see God. It's about taking off the mask, taking off all that play and saying, you know what? I want want him above all else. That's the kind of people that are going to see God. That's what it means when we say we want to see God. So what do you do? Backing up a little bit, we realize I'm not pure in heart. I want to see God. What do you do? Purity of heart, like all the Beatitudes, is not something that you just take in isolation. We've been saying this, right? What do you do? You realize I'm not merciful. What do you do? You realize I'm not pure in heart. What do you do? You go back to where Jesus said is the entry point of growth in the kingdom. You go back to realizing your poverty of spirit. This is how we grow. God, I don't have it. I don't have anything before you. I'm bankrupt. I'm jacked up. I don't have purity. I don't have any of these things. God, help me, help me, help me. As you do, God's going to put yourself in proper alignment with him, and then you're going to see your sin. And then you mourn over the things of your heart that cause you to not be pure in spirit. You mourn over the immorality in your heart. You mourn over the lying heart. You mourn over the cheating heart. You mourn over the stealing heart in you. And you begin to mourn those things. And all of a sudden you're going to realize there's a sweet surrender, a meekness that comes forth. And then you can really want the things that God wants you to want. Listen, he's saying one kind of person, one kind of person alone who can see God. It's those who are pure in heart. If God says, listen, listen, there's only one way that you're going to see God. Only one way that you're going to see God. Wouldn't you want to know what that one thing is and do whatever you can to get that one thing, to be that one? Wouldn't you you do that? If God says, the only way you're going to see me is if you're pure in heart, wouldn't you give tooth and nail, fight tooth and nail, so that everything within you would long for this kind of a purity? He says, when you long for him in this way, you're going you're to be pure in heart. You're going to see God. He says, listen, you can see God. You can see God. You're going you're gonna to see him as clearly as you want to see him. Then why would we settle for nosebleed seats? If he's saying you can get as close to God as you want to be. Wouldn't you fight with everything within you? To say, yeah, I want to strip away all of the other desires, all the things that divide my heart. I want to. I just want to. I want more of God. That's all I want. That's what I want. Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you do that, child of God? So what is it that changed? Because this was a desire of the great men and women. Of the Older Testament, and yet God's response to them was, Sorry, you can't. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he says, Now you can. What changed? It's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to an idol. Who can stand? None of us can. Jesus is the man of Psalm 24. He's the one he's talking about. Because Jesus did, we can follow him in. Who is the man of Psalm 73? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my heart had almost slipped. That's all of us. Our heart had almost, all of us had almost slipped. But surely God is good to the pure in heart. It is good to be near to God. Who knew that blessing? None other than Christ alone. He alone could do it. So when Jesus comes into our world, everything changes. He says, all of a sudden, if you trust in me, you can have a pure heart. Did you know that? You can have a pure heart. A lot of us, this is what a lot of us think, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. A lot of us think purity is something I've got when I'm young, and then I lose it when I sleep around. I lose it when I look at porn. I lose it when I commit all these sins in my heart. Jesus is saying the opposite listen, you may feel like you've lost your purity, but purity is something that you gain and you grow in. Can I tell you, this will free a lot of us who live under the weight of unnecessary shame of things that we've done that we don't think we can grow from these things. He's saying that, pure, that does not define you anymore. Your sins, your failure, your abortion, all of these things does not define you anymore, child of God. You're not defined by these things. Get it, get it, understand it. Purity is not something that you lost and you're trying to get back to a place where you never get to, he's saying purity is something you grow in. The more you commit your heart to Christ, and the more you grow in purity, the more you're going to see God. The only way this happens is if you realize that you can't do it on your own, that Jesus alone was the pure and holy one. He alone could do it. And when you put your trust in him, God the Father looks at you, And he doesn't see your sin. He sees the purity of his son, Jesus. This is imputed righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside of us. He says, listen, you can have this if you believe. And as soon as you believe, your heart can then begin the process of transformation so that not only positionally, but practically, you can grow in holiness. You can grow in purity. You can see God more and more. Blessed are the pure at heart. Fight for it. Long for it. It's your inheritance. You can and you will see God. Let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord, my friends. We're living in a generation, we're living in a culture where many people feel like they've lost their purity and they can't gain it again. Jesus sang. You put your trust in me. My purity is given to you. And from there, you can grow in ever-increasing purity and holiness. It's called sanctification. And because of the grace of God, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, because of God's grace, you work yourself in order to be holy. This is what God is saying. You can be pure. You can see God, regardless of what you've ever done in your life. Never too late. And it's never too late. Let's surrender. Let's pray. Let's seek purity. Let's repent. Let's receive from Him. And let's begin to see God more clearly than we have before. Let's pray together for a couple moments. your purity and up until today felt like you could not be pure maybe you're a child of God and just never feel like you can get to the place of purity that you once were at maybe you're not a child of God and you want to be I'm just going to pray a prayer over us and I ask that you would not only listen but that you would make this prayer your own Father in heaven, we confess that we have sullied and dirtied our bodies, our minds, our souls, our hearts with sinful things. Some of us have done things that are so in our minds awful that we have not dared to tell a single soul, maybe one, maybe two. All-knowing Father, thank you that you've seen everything that we've done. And even so, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, perfect, pure, heart of gold, never sin. You sent him to die on the cross, to take the punishment for my impurity, for my failures, for my wrong actions, for my impure heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me to pay the punishment for my sin. And in exchange for that, not only do I receive a shelter from the punishment that I deserve, I've also been given the blessings of the only one who is pure in heart, Jesus Christ. So by faith, I receive it. I receive you into my life, Jesus, to be my savior from my sins, to be my forgiver, to be my restorer and healer, and to continue to be the lord of my life that you would be my singular devotion you would be the one who captures this undivided heart so that beginning now starting from now i would be able to see you be able to see you god no matter how many times i fail five ten thousand times i fail still your mercy remains because no sin is bigger than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because he's greater and he's stronger. So be my God, be my Lord, be my master and help me to change from the inside out. Help me to be who you want me to be. may may, May we as a generation arise to be this kind of a generation of purity to seek you and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray.